0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 4. We'll also be in Hebrews chapter 11 today. It was a dark time in Israel's history. They had been enslaved by the Egyptians and they were suffering beneath the load of the taskmasters. They had very little hope for life, very little hope for the future. And then God called a liberator. He called a man by the name of Moses to go before the Pharaoh and say, Let my people go. And though it was a very imposing task, Moses, in an act of faith, obeyed God. And as a result, one of the greatest liberations in history occurred. It was a dark time in Ruth's life. As a young woman, her husband had died, she was grieving. For a lady in that society, she had very little hope, very little promise for her life, but then God called her to a new beginning, and in an act of faith, she left her home and she started a new life, and God used it in a great way to write the story of a great woman. It was a dark time in Mary's life as she stood there and watched her son fulfill the divine destiny of his life. And she watched as her son's destiny took him to the torture hall of Antonia and the cursed death of Calvary. But in an act of faith, she stood there, she watched, and she believed, and God did great things. In each of these scenarios that I give you here from Scripture, you have some commonalities. You have the call of God, He comes to an individual, and He calls them to be and to do something, and then you have a person that responds to the call of God in an act of faith. And then as the work of God meets our faith, you see a dynamic act of God take place. Now, let me ask you this question. What is one thing in your spiritual life that God says you must have in order to find His favor? Go ahead and try to take an answer at that question. What is one thing that God says you must have in order to find His favor? If you have somebody sitting next to you, go ahead and try to share your answer with them. I asked that of my daughters last night at our Bible time, and they gave me all sorts of answers. They said, Love, joy, obey your parents. I said that's right. That's you got it. You got it right there. Obey your parents. That's what the Bible. But in Hebrews chapter eleven and verse six, the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then the scripture goes on to say, for the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who seek Him. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter about great faith and the work of God in faithful people's lives. And there's three things that you see in verse 6. You see that, first of all, faith requires you to draw near to God. You don't manufacture this faith in and of yourself. It requires you to draw near to God. You see, secondly, that Faith requires that you believe in God's presence, that He exists and that He exists within the circumstances of your life and whatever you're going through. And thirdly, you trust in His reward. You believe that God in His sovereignty and strength is working all things together for good to them who love Him, who are called according to His purposes. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of darkness in this world. Have you noticed that? Uh, I, was, I was reading the news the other day, and just some of the darkness just jumped off the screen. You had a murder on live TV take place the other day. Uh, we have an officer being executed, someone coming up behind him and, and shooting him. Uh, we have uh, websites that are designed purely for people to commit adultery. Over in the Middle East, you have the j- j- jihad of ISIS. You have Jared, the subway guy. Going to jail for molesting children. A lot of darkness. Now, in fairness, there's always since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. There's always been a lot of darkness in this world. You go back in the 2000s, and you had 9/11 in 2001. You had the Columbine massacre of the 90s, the Tiananmen Square massacre of the 80s. Back in the 70s, you had the Killing Fields. And so there is a sobering reality that as long as you have sin and you have a fallen world, there are going to be these stories of darkness. Darkness has and always be will be a reality in our world until the Lord says, enough, and He comes again and restores the shalom of His creation. Fletch, our student minister, introduced me to something new this week. There is this app called Instagram. Never heard of it? I know I'm so up with the times, aren't I? But he introduced me to this. And, and apparently with this app, I can take a picture on my phone. I can then, with the push of a couple buttons, select to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter all at the same time. And so within seconds of me taking a picture, I can share that picture with Thousands of people instantly. That's why they call it Instagram. If you're following the the presidential race right now at all, you you know that every presidential candidate out there has a massive social media presence. If you go back and look at the 08 election, one of the things that Obama did really well is that he mastered social media before any of the other candidates mastered it. And so he got his name out there through social media in a very uh, strong way. Now, just 25 years ago, if you wanted to find out the news, you watched it on TV. You know, you sat there and you waited for the 6 p.m. news or the 10 p.m. news, and you ate your popcorn during the commercials, and you watched the news. Or if you were really old school, you read it in the paper in the morning, and the paper came once a day, and and, and you read it. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Because of the communication explosion that we've had, our world feels darker than it's ever felt before, because we are aware of everything instantly, and we're constantly being bombarded with the darkness that is in the world around us. And there is a lot of darkness out there. But I also want to share with you today that there is unprecedented opportunity for us to advance the gospel and lead people to radical faith in Jesus Christ. The same things that cause us to be tempted, to, to find be overwhelmed by the darkness Provide opportunities for us to also share the gospel like never before. And when I read Scripture, one of the conclusions that I make is that great stories of faith grow in climates of darkness, and that there is an opportunity here for your life to be a great story of faith. Well, Jesus talked a lot about faith in Mark chapter 4. He tells two parables about faith. He says in Mark 4 and verse 26, the kingdom of God is like this. So this is how the work of God, the the kingdom of God works. A man scatters seed on the ground. He's a farmer. He's scattering seed. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. And then the soil produces a crop by itself, First the blade, then the head, and then the ripe grain of head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. Well, then he goes on in verse 30, and he said, How can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. Over in Luke, Jesus said, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, that it can be mountain moving whenever you have faith in God. And so I want to talk to you about five truths about faith. Five truths about faith, and particularly within this world in which we live. And the first is this. The object of your faith is to be God, not you. Now, that's important because a lot of times, subtly, we talk about having faith and hope and believing in tomorrow, but the object of our faith is ourselves or the object of our faith is a political leader or some structure but the scriptures teach us to have faith in God one of the most energizing things for me is to be around young people I I was a student minister for about seven years and I enjoy in the next service the students sit right behind me and I love the energy that they bring because I just like being around the passion of young faith Because when you're young in the faith, you you really believe, you know what, the gospel can go to all the ends of the earth. And I believe that in my lifetime, every man, woman, boy, and girl can hear the truth of Jesus Christ. And you believe deep in your soul that anyone can change and that whenever you pray, it has the power to move mountains and that our message is indeed the hope of the world. And then tragically, often, over the course of time, not always, but often over the course of time, that hopeful faith begins to morph into a cynical faith. Now, one of the most draining things on the planet is cynical faith, a faith that has transitioned from believing that God can do the unbelievable to believing that God hopefully, will just see me through. Cynical faith. You ever encountered it? Oh, preacher, so good to see you today. I made it through another week. I'm just praying that God will give me the grace to stay awake through your sermon today. You know, I was reading on the news, there's all this religious persecution in the world. I don't know what the Lord's going to do. Maybe the gospel's just doomed. I hope we can keep the doors open at the church. I'm just afraid that everything's going to implode. No one will ever love Jesus again. And you start getting that cynical faith, that that doom and gloom faith that that all is lost and and you quit believing that, that God really does transform hearts and transforms families and communities and changes things. If the object of your faith is you, then the vision of your faith will be small and the tone of your faith will be discouraging. If the object of your faith is God, the vision of your faith will be great. And the tone of your faith will be encouraging. Because you're trusting in someone that is so much larger than anything you can imagine. You're trusting in the sovereign, divine creator of the universe who can do all things. Secondly, I I want you to notice that faith requires you to plant yourself in God's work now if you remember the parable of the talents you may not have much to invest but you decide I'm going to take the one and only life that God has given me I'm not going to be envious of somebody else's life I'm not going to be envious of other people's talents I'm going to take what God has given me and I'm going to invest them in the kingdom of God Verses 30 through 32 reminds us of something about investing ourselves in God's work, and that is that the results are beyond your control. You don't know what God might do whenever you plant yourself fully in the work of God. You don't know exactly how He might use you. If your story might be a story like Ruth's or a story like Moses'. But you invest yourself in God's work with the belief that God loves you and cares about you. And then you allow God to do His work in you and through you. Whenever these young couples stand right here in front of me and they get married and they say to each other, they proclaim their love and they say that they're going to be with one another till death do they part. And I remind them that death can be a very, 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 very long time. But they are committed to each other till death do they part. They don't know what they're getting into. Over the course of the years, they're going to leave home. They're going to have bills. They're probably going to have kids. One, two, three... For, they they're gonna go through all sorts of things and and if they knew what they were going to what they were in for they'd say we're crazy this is impossible what they do though is they invest themselves in one another They say, I'm in this. I'm committed to you. You're committed to me. Till death do you part. We are going to be husband and wife. And then the marriage grows and they live life together. Well, the same thing happens in your walk with God. You plant yourself in Christ. You place your faith in God. And you say, okay, God, here I am. I'm going to place the totality of me in you. And then I'm going to trust you to do what you want to do with my life. And the results are ultimately up to God. He takes your life, and then He grows it and uses it for His glory. Thirdly, faith involves risk. Now, you you study your Bible, and you you look at your Bible, and, and you try to find safe Christianity in your Bible. Study the disciples after the Great Commission and see where's safe Christianity there. Study the life of Jesus, the way that he preached, the way that he lived. Where's safe Christianity there? Faith always is going to put you in places of crisis and places of risk. Both parables, in both parables that Jesus taught here, things start small, and then through the work of God, there is growth, there's expansion. But there's also risk. Within our church this week, there was a traumatic moment for a lot of people. There were a lot of families in our church that their children started kindergarten this week. Or maybe they made a transition from uh, grade school to junior high, or from junior high to high school, or maybe you dropped them off at college, and you have that traumatic moment. You know, you're getting them all ready, fix their hair got that little uniform on, that backpack, they're proud of their water bottle, and they walk off to college, (laughs) don't forget to call, there's a new thing called Instagram, send us pictures, yeah, and as, as they're walking off, your heart sinks, I dropped McKenna off at the kindergarten party this week. And as I watched her walk off to school, there was this part of me that was like, ah. Oh. But there's this other part that says, well, you have to let them go. Because you got to let them start having those experiences so that they can grow and mature, and become the people that God desires them to be. Well, the same thing's true with faith. Faith involves risk. It involves letting go. It involves moving beyond your your safety zones. Faith doesn't grow in the kiddie pool. Sometimes we we, want to see God do great things, and we're walking around and we got our little floaties on. We walk over and we're like, "Uh, I don't want to get where I can't touch the bottom. I got to make sure that everything's safe and secure. Is the lifeguard on duty? Is everything good here? Sometimes you just got to jump in. So you know what? I'm going to do that for the Lord. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to take the risk. Because I want to see God do something that only God can do. And I want to find myself in some positions where my feet don't touch the bottom. And I need God to take care of me. Now there's a fourth reality here about faith. And that is that faith usually involves doubt faith will normally take you through moments where you doubt a little bit. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. If you have to have everything seen before you can believe it, you don't have faith. Faith requires that you are hoping for God to do what He has said He's going to do. You are placing your hopes not in yourself you're placing your hope in god and there is a reality out there that you believe in even though you can't see it all faith takes you beyond the empirical world now it's normal for you to have doubts and i would submit that in american christianity this is even a greater temptation because our society is, is really saturated in the empirical process, and in our education systems, we, we teach you all the way through that you need to learn how to break things down, and actually, as you move through the college uh, levels, uh, that you need to actually doubt everything and be skeptical about everything, so that until it is proved to you, it's not really true. Truth. And then you bring that into the spiritual world, and in the spiritual world, it demands of you a faith in God. Now, it's not a leap into the darkness because God has revealed himself to us, and there are there is a cloud of witnesses that testify towards uh, the substance of faith in God and, and his faithfulness and his goodness and how he does reward those who diligently seek him and that the proof is there and it has been seen by millions over thousands of years before you, but in your own life, there are these moments where your feet don't touch the bottom, you've got to trust, you've got to hope, and you can't see it all laid out for you. And because of that, there's this temptation to doubt and to retreat from faith uh, towards unbelief. But faith pushes through doubt towards belief. Cynicism analyzes doubt towards unbelief faith's going to take you through some seasons where you just don't have all the answers god doesn't give you the roadmap for all your life it's going to take you through those seasons but you push through keep your eyes on him and you have faith in him fifth faith is the opportunity of your lifetime if you look at the scriptures that word faith pops up in the bible over and over again And whenever faith occurs in our life, um, radical things happen. At the root of salvation is faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Salvation is not a work of you. It's a work of God. God saves you through His grace. But there is an initial step of faith where the gospel draws near to you. And you believe in it. You place your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. And at that moment of believing faith, there is a transformation of your heart and your soul that the Scriptures refer to as being born again. You become a new creation. You are saved Old things pass away. All things become new. You are baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. You are gloriously, eternally saved. And there's that step of faith there as you respond to God's grace. Whenever you take those steps of faith, that's when you experience the power of God. Let me ask you this in your life. Do you have any stories of the power of God? As you look at your life, Do you have stories where you say, God showed up, I saw the power of God, I I experienced it myself, or are all your stories about the power of God other people? I've read about them, saw movies about them, but I've never experienced it. For you to experience the power of God, you're going to have to step out there and have faith in God. When you put yourself out there in faith, that's when you see God do what only God does can do. It is a dark world. It's a dark world. There are things that trouble my heart. There's things that trouble your heart. But I believe that you can make a difference. That you through God's power can be light shining into the darkness. Faith is where Christianity is lived out. Faith is where you see God working. That's where you see lives changed whenever you trust in God and faith, that's where the impossible becomes reality. There is just too much cynical Christianity out there. And I implore you not to adorn yourself in cynical faith. Oh, look at them. They're excited about the Lord. God bless them. Oh, they want to... They want to give their lives for, for missions. Oh, 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 they want, to, they want to go on this mission trip. Oh, oh, they want, to, they want to do that. Well, it's never going to work out. Well, the problem with all that is, oh, yeah, you're talking about the goodness of God and what He's done. Well, yeah, but what about the suffering that's still out there? There's a lot of cynical Christianity out there. And this morning, my my basic goal is to remind you about the unbelievable nature of the gospel. 2,000 years ago, God revealed himself and came near to us to the birth of his son in an obscure one camel town called Bethlehem. And Jesus Christ lived the life that you and I could never live. He lived the sinless life, he was rejected, he was betrayed he was tortured, he was barbarically crucified. But the scriptures say he was crucified not just as the death of a good man who believed in his cause, but he was crucified for your sins and mine. That there on the cross he died as a substitute for you and me, absorbing the wrath of God, an atonement of substitution for you and for me. And the scriptures say that God so loved the world that he sent his son so that whoever believes, and there's that faith, Whoever believes in him does not perish. Your life is not temporary. It doesn't fade away. It's not withering and destined for death for all eternity. But whoever believes in him has eternal life. Grace has been brought near to you and to me. The divine creator of the universe didn't just create us and say, good luck with that. Instead, He intervened into our scene so that we might be redeemed. And of all the amazing things about grace, one of the most fascinating things to me is how that through God's grace, He extends Himself to us for relationship. I don't understand exactly how the entire divine economy of God works together. But I know that within Scripture, over and over and over again, there are testimonies and examples of how when grace meets faith, the gospel starts going out and expanding, and great works of God take place in the lives of ordinary people like you or me when we respond to the grace of God with faith. And God takes that faith places it into the soil of his kingdom. He does great and mighty things that we know is not. Be a person of faith. Be a person of encouragement. Be a person of hope. Put yourself out there. Invest your life in Christ. Put yourself totally in him and let him use your life for his glory. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you with the acknowledgement that you are God and that we are not. We ask your forgiveness for those areas of life where we still try to play as if we are the divine. Father, help us to yield ourselves totally to you, to believe in you, to live life with faith. I pray, Father, that you might write the stories of our lives for your glory. And Father, sometimes as we look at, the, look at the script, it's not how we would have written it. But we trust you, that you know what you're doing. I want to pray especially this morning for those that are going through a dark time in their own life. Maybe it's a season of grief, a season of conflict season of doubt, transition, whatever it might be. I pray that you might strengthen them, sustain them, comfort them, heal them. I pray that your presence might be thick around the troubled heart. And I pray that our response to your grace might always be a faith that believes in you and trusts in you. Help us, Lord, to get beyond this idea that we have to have all the answers because we have you. When we have you, even though there are some doubts and there's things that are unknown, we can trust and we can go forward because we know who you are. You are the God who has saved our soul. You are the God who has shown yourself to be faithful time and time and time again. And so we trust in you. And we pray that you might use our one and only life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.